was the best of times. They were the best of friends. They made the best of memories. Why don't you go somewhere? Your face is mine. Those cool, cool days. Coolie high. Everybody. Hello. Welcome to another episode of 70 Movies We Saw in the 70s. I'm Ben Reiser, and across the internets from me is Mr. Scott Lucas. Hello. Of Chicago, Illinois. Well, I guess do you say of Zion, Illinois? What do you say? Do you talk about where I... you were born, or you talk about where you are now? I'm, yeah, might as well where I am now. I mean, I'm from Zion. I'll always be from Zion. There's nothing that can change that. But uh, I think I've been living here long enough that I can say I'm in Chicago, right? I think you, I, hey, I think it's your choice. Like I tend to say I'm, I mean, I always talk about being in Madison or from, from Madison, Wisconsin. It's been, you know. How long have you been in Madison? Well, it's getting close to being like almost as long as I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn until I was 30, 31, mm-hmm. something around that. And now it's been over 20 years in, um, in Madison. I think you're a Madisonian right now. You know, I mean, that's 20 years, I think, is a good amount of time to comfortably say that you're from somewhere. But if I was Roy Scheider in Jaws, I would not, I still wouldn't be an Islander. What do they say to him at the yeah. beginning? <laughs> He'll never be an Islander. Right, yeah. But they say that to his wife. She says... Uh, You'll never, you'll never be an Islander. You, you, you weren't born here. You'll never be one. Uh, yeah, but he's having a converse, He's having a conversation with 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 the with the kid out on the beach. But he's relaying what what people have told his wife. No, when he t- when he talks to the kid, he's like, "Were you, were you born here?" And the kid goes, "Yeah, I'm an Islander." Right. Like it's a, like sort of a offhand comment. But then later on, his wife is on the beach talking to. One of the other women on the beach, and she goes, "Look, you weren't born here. You'll never be from here. You know that kind of thing." Uh, I want to start right off and talk about my egregious fuck-ups from last week's episode. Okay. Uh, what movie uh, were we talking about? I can't even remember. We we were talking about Lifeguard. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I talked about this movie, King of the Hill. That was probably the worst movie growing up that I had seen twice. All right, and I thought you were talking about this Soderbergh thing, which I think he has he, a movie called King of the Hill. He's got he? King of the Hill. That was his follow-up to Kafka, I think. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> that movie needed a follow-up. <laughs> ooh. And then there's uh, the, the radio show, not the radio show, the TV you, show. Hey, hang on but, a second. Isn't it amazing yeah. to think back at the time when After Sex Lies and Videotape Soderbergh kept putting out movies that people fucking hated and it really seemed like he was going to be one and done it was like right. well he he had that debut like some most people do and then he was nothing and you think about it now where he's like you know now considered like this untouchable king of cinema which you know great I, I, he's done a, a bunch of amazing movies but there was like five maybe even longer years after 
uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape where nobody wanted, like his movie sucked and nobody wanted to see him and it was almost the yeah. end for him. It looked like he was out and then he kind of like changed his trajectory by making that Schizopolis movie. Right. And then he sort of became this guy, but he didn't really walk away from commercial movies. I mean, Out of Sight is one of my favorite movies of yeah. the 90s. I think that's the one that, uh, you're right, that Schizopolis was like, Hey, I'm I'm radically changing my approach and and or, or you know, I'm showing you I can do a whole bunch more stuff. I'm shaking it off. I'm shaking off all the failures right. from my last couple of years. Right. But I'm yeah, but out of what? sight was the and, and but still nobody saw Schizopolis and nobody really liked Schizopolis. But then out of sight came on and it was like, oh fuck and that's like the Soderbergh we've gotten ever since. Even at his most experimental, it's sort of like, yes, this is Soderbergh. Right, but now he's sort of shaken things off again with that whole, and you know, it's probably bullshit, but that whole retiring from filmmaking. And so now he pretty much exclusively makes movies on his iPhone. Uh, <laughs> and they're fun movies. Like, what was the movie with Claire Foy where she's going crazy? And yeah. They're, they're fun Unsane. movies. They're tr- I didn't right. like it. It's, but- it's, tra- it's trash. It's like, it's one step, I don't want to say above, or below, but it's one step away from Cinemax, uh, Skinemax type of movies. Yeah. Um, and, I know. And so I know he's, people... he's recast himself again. I know people that are fans. Of, I don't know anyone who's a fan of Unsane. And I think a big problem with that is Claire Foy, who I think you in a previous episode were like, who the fuck yeah. is Claire Foy? <laughs> but, um, but then he made another, he made one with like Clive Owen, um, Another sort of like film noir type twisty. I forget what it's called, but like Clive Owen is like a medical something or other. And there's like a people are fucking. With oh, no, that's a TV show you're talking no, about. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. The, the, the Nick? Because yeah. that is great. No, the Nick is great. No, I'm sorry. I got to. We're going to derail our whole fucking show here. Hang on a second. Good. Soderberg. Well, but you guys, you talk I, about what you made. Talk about what the movie you were thinking of when you said King of the Hill, because I'm fascinated. I recently watched because I, I was starting to think that like even uh Soderbergh's failures were interesting so I, I watched recently uh it was on Criterion one of his earlier ones that I hadn't seen it was uh it wasn't the limey it was with what's his name from uh Sex Lies and Videotape yeah Peter the Gallagher. underneath or the underground or the, the un- something underneath? yeah the underneath I think it was and Shit, I thought oh, 48 be- 46 director credits I was thinking this is going to be interesting. This is going to be good, and it wasn't good no, or interesting. Or that anything. was that was another one from his shit period, like where he could do no right. Right. Like the one I'm talking. But I about, think that was that was the breaking point for him. That's when he said, "I can't." This is the, he says it's the worst thing he ever did, and he couldn't go on that way. But you're talking about like Kafka and King of the Hill, and but that's the same period. But the movie that I was trying to remember that I don't like, but people right. think is pretty good, is from 2013. It's called Side Effects. Yeah, he made that after uh, Contagion, right? He made it after Magic Mike. Contagion is 2011. Haywire, which I think is all right, is 2011. Although she's now been canceled. What's her name? The star of Haywire. That uh, oh, mixed right. martial arts I, I still haven't seen I That's who that is. I'd love to see that. I started it. I never finished it. I like uh, side effects a lot because it, it, it reminds me a lot of... Uh, the, the Claire Foy movie we were just talking about mm-hmm. where it's, it's totally trash, mm-hmm. but it's really well-made trash. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's, he's, you know, he's uh, 
punching down, but it's pretty good. Danny Boyle made a movie that same year that was like sort of similar, similar mm-hmm. kind of trash, but I liked it a lot better. Maybe because what's your name is fully nude in it. Um, yes. Was you know it what I'm like talking about? Where she like hypnotizes some guy. Or there's some kind yep. of fucking yep, weird I hypnotism do. thing going on. Anyway, but that was like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I occasionally have to like put two movies together and like fight, have them fight it out to the death. And in my yep. mind, the Danny Boyle is better than the, than the side effects lost <laughs> side effects. When I went to go see side effects, I thought it was going to be just like traffic. I thought it was going to be sort of like a takedown mm. of <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be like traffic. I, I actually thought it was going to be more like contagion. I thought it was going to be like, is that movie contagion? Is that what it's called? It is called contagion. Yes. Right? Contagion was 2011. Okay. And so was Haywire. I thought it was going to be with a bunch of actors and it was going to be like a takedown of, of the pharmaceutical drug business. But it turned out to be this Cinemax piece of trash. And mm-hmm. uh, I kind of loved it for that. Yeah. All right. So, so Sex Lies and Videotape, then Kafka, then King of the Hill, then The Underneath. And then he did two episodes of something called Fallen Angels, which was a TV show. I don't know what that is. Then he did Schizopolis, as you are correct. Then he did Grey's Anatomy. Oh, that's that Spalding Gray. Oh, that's right, right, right. Right. But then, and that was 1996. Then he didn't do anything for two years. And then 98, he came came strong with Out of Sight. And then he followed that up with The Limey. And then he followed that up with Aaron Brockovich. Then he followed that up with Traffic. Then he followed that up with Ocean's Eleven. And it was like, you know. Right. All those fucking things wiped out that bad period. Then he was able to do Full Frontal and nobody even yelled at him about it. And then he did Solaris, which... You know, is no Solaris, but it's okay. I got no problem with Solaris. It's, yeah. I, I think it's just fine. It's fine. Then he did that uh, K Street show. I yeah. What what was happening with that show? I kept waiting for something to happen, and mm-hmm. it never really did. No, but you haven't what, seen the Nick. I've seen the Nick. I like the Nick just oh, fine. The, yeah, Nick the is Nick terrific. is fine. I also like all the Oceans movies, except for the one that he didn't make with the ladies. Oceans Eight or whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, don't. Uh, I Shay. I haven't seen all of Shay. I guess I should. No, that one. Girlfriend Experience. I didn't see, but I loved the show that they made out of it. TV show was pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. It was better than the movie. Yeah, The Informant. I did not like at all. You mean Matt The Informant? Damon. Yeah. Exclamation point. Yeah. Contagion. Not a huge fan of Haywire. Mm. Last time I saw Michael Gregg as a video, I don't know what that is. Magic Mike, mm, it's all right. I like Magic Mike. Behind the Candelabra, I think is pretty fun for an HBO. Yep, it's movie. pretty good. Logan Lucky, that's the one. This is why I was going to yell at you about you saying he only makes iPhone movies because Logan Lucky is not an iPhone movie, but it is a reason. No, but it, maybe it should be. It should be. All right, and then the Laundromat, I thought was not bad. I don't know that. I I really want to see the new one that's on HBO Max with Meryl Streep. Well, she's in the laundromat too, but yeah. What's the new... I forget what it's called. Damn it. I don't know. All right. Let's get back to your point. Okay. My point is the movie was not King of the Hill. The movie (laughs) with with, uh, Harry Hamlin was King of the Mountain. So, see, that doesn't help. But I just want <laughs> no, everyone to know me, that it was King of the Mountain, not King of the Hill. And I was 
I was very angry. And then r- right after that, I believe we were talking about a movie with uh, Henry Winkler. And you said, I forget what you said it was, but we must have been talking about Heroes. You called it something else. I said Heroes. No, no, no. You said uh, Harrison Ford. Harrison was Ford in Heroes. Hero. And he is. It's Henry Winkler in Heroes. No, 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 no. What are you talking about, though? It's I'm Henry Winkler in Heroes, right? I don't think he's in Heroes. I think Harrison Ford is in Heroes. Hang on. No, Harrison Ford's in Hanover Street. Heroes, nineteen seventy-seven. Oh yeah, Henry Ford. Winkler. Uh, I think that. Um, yeah, Harrison Ford is in it too. So fuck you. Okay. Well, it. nobody remembers that. I did. All right. Apparently, I did. But but <laughs> the worst and the 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 one that I'm most upset about and sorry about is that I said Pete's dad, Pete Davidson's dad was not a fireman. Pete's da- da- Pete Davidson's dad was a fireman. He did die in uh, being a first responder in the September 11th attack. And I always thought Pete's dad was a firefighter. And then when we were watching that, uh, my girlfriend Justine said something. I, I guess I wasn't really listening. Sorry. And 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 uh, she, uh, I thought she said Pete's dad wasn't a firefighter; that he was actually uh, he worked in the building and he was worked in the you know like an accountant or not an accountant but an investor. She was talking about somebody else that she knew who went down in that building and mm. how fucked up they were. And and I heard it as Pete's dad was actually just. Not just, but was actually working in the building, and that this whole thing about the firemen was for the movie, which struck me as wrong. But, but you know, it, it doesn't matter. I my attitude about it was fucked up either way, and I was wrong. And yeah, I don't you, like Pete Davidson, but I <laughs> yeah. you, you shouldn't say something. So the like uh, that about him. no, that's good. That's good to clear up. But so the uh, I never got past the first fifteen minutes of King of Staten Island which I can't believe we talk about every goddamn episode of podcasts we do. But so you're saying that the plot point in King of Staten Island is directly taken from Pete Davidson's life without any alteration. As it should, as it should, as it should. And I got it wrong and I, I feel really, really bad about it. So I wanted to clear that up as well as clear up that it's King of the Mountain. Did you ever see the movie um, that you totally should not see, but when it comes on, you should watch it. Yeah. The the Henry Winkler movie that I was trying to come up with, I think maybe in the Oh God episode, was the one where he's a wrestler. And then I, that, that what's his name? Carl Reiner, I think, either directed or had something to do with. I don't know that one. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Henry Winkler is a wrestler? Like, not, not like a pro wrestler, like a high school wrestler or something. No, right? no, no. Like a pro wrestler. Like an amateur pro, like, you know, dressed up in a costume. Wow, wow. Like Nacho Libre. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy that for one what second. fuck? Uh, all right. Good thing I don't have much to talk about with the movie we are going to talk about today. <laughs> no, I do. I do. I do. Good. Good. And how long, how long is Cooley High? Well, it's pretty long, so we got some breathing room. It's like an hour and 47 minutes, so. No way, really? Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, let a me lot just tell longer you the than the usual American international picture. Uh, the one and only is the name of the Henry Winkler 
wrestling movie directed by Carl Reiner. This it's the sort of the most forgotten. It's probably not the most forgotten Carl Reiner movie, but it's it's a forgotten Carl Reiner movie. And for some reason in my head, that's probably why I thought of Heroes because um, they're both Henry Winkler movies. But then I forgot that Henry Winkler was in Heroes, and Henry Winkler is the star of Heroes, I guess. Yes. And Harrison Ford is sort of just like a somewhat minor character. Very minor. Unbelievably minor. So minor that you would not bring up heroes. Uh, so so minor that you would not bring up Harrison Ford if you were talking oh, about I heroes. Oh, I would. I would. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's I did. like, it's false advertising there. Well, listen, this is the guy who's talking about King of the Hill like it's some fucking Soderbergh movie. Oh, what you in the mountain? <laughs> like it's like it's like it's some kind of Harry Hamlin movie. The only Harry Hamlin movie I can remember is that that sword and sorcery stupid thing. Clash of the Titans. Clash of Titans. Yeah, it's not stupid at all. It's a great movie. Oh, stop! I saw Clash of the Titans on the same day that I saw uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it was it was probably the best day, best ever. day of your life, best day of my life. I was like. Saw Clash of the Titans, and my friend Steve said, my parents are taking me to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. You want to go? I was like, yeah, but I don't see how it could get any better than (laughs) Clash of the Titans. Wow, did it get better. Yeah, I'm amazed that you would ever think of Clash of the Titans again after having seen Raiders of the Lost Ark later that same day. Well, Clash of the Titans was definitely a three and a half movie compared to Raiders of the Lost Ark's four star movie. In my little notebook, it was definitely... You know, and that was probably because, you know, seeing an actual four star action movie was it was like, OK, that's what that looks like. Not- Did you see the remake of Clash of the Titans from 10 years ago or so? No, I like to say I don't think so. Maybe I did. But if I did, I, I have no real memory of it. I have a song of yours in my head because I was trying to remember the name of a movie that I saw last year that annoyed the fuck out of me. Uh-huh. Uh, as I was trying to think about the way the black experience is portrayed in movies and TV here in the United States. And I had seen this movie called Waves. And so that reminded me of... You didn't see Waves, did you? Because it only made $1.7 million uh, at the box office. I did not see Waves. It's, they did uh, not get my money. There's this guy whose first two movies I thought were great. And I was so excited to see Waves because it's his third movie. This guy, Trey Edward Schultz, who did a movie called Shiva or something like that. But then he did this really good, like, post-apocalyptic horror movie called um, They Come at Night or something like that. They, they Right. Night. He kind of like, uh, It Comes at Night? It or Comes something? at Night. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where these yeah. people are holed up in a house and then this other couple yep. comes to deal with them and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that was a little it's kind of a zombie movie, too. but not really a zombie movie. It's a plague. Right. It's like a plague movie. Right, right, right. I, I do remember that. And I, I remember him doing something else that looked interesting. And his and first movie, know. which is a which is about this woman who comes to like a family reunion and she's what was that first movie called? I think it's called Shiva or something with an S. It's, oh, it's the, it's the fuck, woman's yeah. name. I just watched it the other, the oh, other did? month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a few months ago, I, I watched it. I didn't make it very far. Oh. It was like one of those wet scab type of movies where you're just like, eh, this is going to be uncomfortable, right? It's very yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's got fancy camera shots that I liked a lot, like tracking shots and yeah. circling around the room. and You know, which I thought would appeal to you and your Scorsese 
worship. Hey, that's not why he does that. <laughs> I didn't say why this guy does it. All right, Cooley High. We're talking about Cooley High today. Talking you about picked Cooley it. High. I Talk picked to me it. about your Cooley High experience. Uh, Cooley High was like, uh, you know, I saw it on TV when I was a kid. It had to be like one of those late night, Saturday night on ABC type of things. And I don't know why my mom was such a fan of it. It doesn't really seem like the kind of thing that she would be super into. But um, I remember watching it with her. And and uh, it left an impression on me. And there are things about it that I, I never forgot. Like, the main thing that I never forgot was the scene where they all, the gang, master, the gang members come busting out of the, the movie screen. Um yeah. And, and that's just something that all that stuff really stuck in my head. Um, that's just one of those movies that, yeah, never really went away. And, I, you know, it's it's got a cult to it and it's cool and, and a lot of people love it. And um, yeah, but I'm wondering yeah. by the time you saw it on TV, which is exactly how I saw it on TV, um, had you had you already been watching what's happening? I must have been. I must have been. So much so that that uh, the image in my mind of, of the gang members uh, busting through the screen, I partly saw a rerun busting through the screen. So there's something about that scene and the beginning of Cooley High that are fused in my brain. So, you know, whenever I watch this movie and, and when I watched it last week... It's shocking to me that to see the scene. It's not that big of a deal. It's not framed uh, in any special way. It's it, it's not slow motion, which I almost remembered that it was slow motion. It's none of these things that like really jumped out at me. Um, and rerun is not even in the fucking movie. So there's something about what's happening and Cooley High that are for refused with me. And I had no idea that. Eric Monty, the writer for this movie, had anything to do with what's happening, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a little confusing to me as to as to what he did have to do with what's happening, other than maybe being paid for uh, the premise or the, the inspiration. Like, it's sort of, it's like, what's happening is this weird, well, here's, what, here's an analogy that I came up with, which I'm sure a million other people have come up with. Like Cooley High is to what's happening as American Graffiti is to Happy Days, where yep. it's clearly the inspiration for this show. And although in the in the case of Cooley High and what's happening, it doesn't actually share any cast members. Although obviously Raj is completely supposed to be preach, right? Um, and the and the actor who plays Raj is clearly was hired clearly because he looks exactly like the dude who plays Preach, who I was happy to discover is the was is the mayor on the wire. And yes. like, oh, that's who this fucking guy is. Yeah, yeah. Like for years, I thought that Raj and 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 Glenn Turman were like the same guy. Yeah, you know? me too. I, I was kind of like, oh wait, they're not the same guy. Um, yeah, I mean, and of course. Lawrence Hilton Jacobs plays Cochise, and then he went on to uh, be in Welcome Back, Cotter. Uh, right. This movie, like, sort of casts a shadow over a lot of 70s television, uh, you know, in, including yeah. Good Times, 
and the white shadow. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and I, Eric Monty was 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 specifically actually involved in a real way with Good Times and the Jeffersons. Right. In that I think he wrote the episode or episodes that introduced the Jeffersons on All in the Family. And then uh, I didn't get too far into the story, but at some point he sued Norman Lear. Right. Right. Uh, sued Norman they, Lear. Yeah. Because Norman Lear went ideas. on to do the Jeffersons and maybe good time. I, 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 I'm a little unclear as to how much actual involvement Eric Monty had, but he, but, but absolutely like he's, his imprint is all over all that stuff. And the imprint of Cooley High, I think affects never mind 70s TV, but it's still, including this movie that I saw last year, Waves, which uh, takes the most melodramatic elements of Cooley High and runs with it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. total fucking melodrama. And of course, you know, you can, if you if you watch, even do the right thing after seeing Cooley High, you're like, oh yeah, okay. Boys to Men. I mean, boys, not to, boys men, to Men, absolutely. No, but yeah, right, Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood. <laughs> yeah, Boys but to Men. Boys to Which, Men's Boys first- to Men. Yeah, deserve. their first album is Cooley High Harmonies, and right, they, and they and, cover uh, the song at the end of Cooley It's High. so hard to say goodbye, isn't this? Which I completely never, never knew, or didn't realize until I just saw it again last week. But do you think your mom was into it? Here's here's my question for you, because in the, growing up in the Chicago area, as a kid, and I'm probably still in this way, I have almost zero sense of place. Or geography, and I was gonna say last week, or when we talked about Lifeguard, that as a kid, it didn't even register to me that it's a California movie. Like I grew up uh, on the East Coast, and we had beaches, and I thought, oh, maybe this is on the Jersey Shore. I mean, if I if I thought about it at all, like I didn't go to movies and think to myself, where is this taking place? But I was like, for me, Lifeguard could have been any sort of beach, Long Island, or fucking. Amity, you know, yeah. uh, Martha's Vineyard. I didn't know, but I, it's funny watching it now. You're like, Jesus, this, of course, this is a total California movie. And I'm sure that it never occurred to me that Cooley High was taking place in Chicago. As a kid watching that movie, I'm like, oh, this looks like New York. It's a big city and there's big buildings and there's a subway or there's an elevated train. Um, and I think I just, I was, I'm stupid when it comes to that stuff. And I just don't think it registered, but did it really register as a Chicago thing to you as a kid and maybe to your mom? Uh, at some point it totally did. And I mean, this is about as Chicago as a Chicago movie can get. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, we didn't go to Chicago a lot. My mom certainly didn't go to Chicago a lot, but but I find like movies and where they take place, it's only after you go to those places and then you see that movie again, do you get all that stuff, you know? Um, even a movie like, even like seeing a movie like Pulp Fiction, which, you know, is an LA movie, but it doesn't really stick it in your face. But when you see a movie like Pulp Fiction in LA, it totally changes everything about it. So to, to see a movie like Cooley High and live in Chicago, you know, I could sit there and watch the characters run around Chicago all day. You know, yeah. and that's part of the big appeal for me. Um, you know, when they're running around in Lincoln Park Zoo, I, I love it. And that, and the movie hasn't even really gotten going yet. You know, it's it's still like, is this going to be a good movie, or, is, or am I just going to be watching this to enjoy? You know, people running around Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
But I, I mean, I think that goes for most people. They don't really get the flavor of the place unless they live there, which is why you can be with somebody and somebody from New York. Like, that's not the street on New York. And it's like, who gives a shit? You know? Right. But if it happens in Chicago, it, it goes the other way. You know? Right. I remember watching the god-awful Tony Scott remake of Taking a Pelham 123 and hating it for every single reason you can hate a movie, but no, nothing more than the fact that the that the subway geography is so wrong in that movie. It's like, like wait, they're where now? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's like you have to have a sense of place with that movie. I mean, it, it, what what the fuck? It, it's not just a subway anywhere. It, it's New York. It, it yeah. It, one of those things that we were talking about before, where after a certain point, people decided, oh, nobody cares about that, and then it just mm-hmm. the whole movie falls apart. Yeah, the details. The thing about Eric Monty, and I, I was just watching the intro of Good Times. He is listed in the intro as being one of the creators. Yes, I do so think I, that he's actively involved in Good Times. It's the he, Jeffersons it, that I'm less clear about. I think he just maybe wrote a few things on the Jeffersons. Um, but I also think that he wrote the Jeffersons episodes of All in the Family. So those characters originate with him. Sure. But I, I also wonder, could, could the thing with what's happening is originally they had done a, a Cooley High pilot yeah. and it, it, it did not go well. So they had asked Eric Monty to come up with a, a TV show that would, maybe they were thinking Happy Days, like you were talking. And they, they you know, he reimagined it with different characters and changed the name so no one would get it mixed up with Cooley High. It's it's really hard to figure out exactly why he sued Norman Lear because his name is on all these things. Well, I think he and, wasn't getting paid. I think that he felt like he was not getting properly compensated. Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if that had to do with the drinking and the drug use. I mean, because, you know, he got a million dollars settlement out of it. And then after that, it looked to me like he kind of got blackballed and people yeah. were just like, we don't want to work with that guy anymore. Well, um, look, I mean, reading up about what's happening, and I kind of remember this happening at the time, speaking of what's happening, uh-huh. was that Fred Rerun Barry had nothing but trouble with that show either. He was constantly walking off the set because they wouldn't pay him what he thought he was worth. Right. Well, he became the breakout star on that show. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, uh, although I heard this, I think this is true. You know, the, the character who... Um, uh, who says hey 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 is actually Dwayne Wayne the other guy yeah, yeah 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 but then at some point it, later on in their careers I don't think that Dwayne Wayne had much of a career after what's happening but Fred <laughs> Berry used to then co-op that hey 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 thing he'd go on like talk shows and stuff and he'd start doing hey 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 or maybe even in what's happening now which was like sort of like a sequel spin-off right. show right 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 that he was in i think he suddenly was the hey 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 guy <laughs> which i find funny. maybe duane should sue rerun he should is it it's interesting that corin rogers the guy who plays pooter in cooley mm-hmm. high kind of looks a little bit like yes Dwayne. he's that's certainly the Dwayne Wayne inspiration is the Pooter character. And I, and it, it broke my heart that Corin Rogers never did anything else. Cause I think he's really good in Cooley high. He's, and he's one of the few actors in this who actually looks like he's in high school. Yes, because he is. Cause he's only 14 when they're shooting this movie. And he, wow. I watched an interview with him. He did some sort of local Chicago 
interview, and I watched it on YouTube. We can post it to our social medias if people are interested. Um, but he talks about um, how um, how everyone else on the set was partying all night because they were all you know, of age and that right. he was home in bed every night. And so he really wasn't, he had a great time making the movie, but he wasn't part of the click that got established with everyone else in that movie. Cause he was the well, only he, really kid in the movie. Hmm. He, I mean, he was in charge of spearheading these Kulihara reunions. Uh, there was, there was one that happened like, I think in the nineties or, or something I was reading about in the, the sun times. And that was his thing that he was doing. Um, but, I mean, there's other characters in this that, like, you know, D and what's happening. Yeah. She's basically, she's called D in Cooley High. And you get yeah. the big mama. Like, like D's, D's uh, catchphrase, ooh, I'm telling, is in this movie. I, I was going to say that I think that what's happening is a brilliant distillation of some of the best stuff from Cooley High. Like, I think, because I think the D, I watched a couple episodes of what's happening last night in preparation for this mm-hmm. conversation. And I, I mean, I loved, I was reminded of how much of my youth was spent watching these black sitcoms in the seventies. Yep. I watched every episode of the Jeffersons, every episode of good times and every episode of what's happening. Right. And I was also realizing that there isn't, my kids don't even have that opportunity. They didn't have that opportunity in the two thousands. Like there weren't those, I mean, what was on TV that was even resembling this blackish, I guess. I guess. I mean, you everything know, else was like was like in like syndication land, like Moesha and all these like sort of like half-assed, like you know they they weren't even on the primetime networks. Right. I mean, you not only had stuff like this, but you also had you know Roots was a big, mm-hmm. huge deal, and everybody watched Roots. Everybody watched it. So I mean, like TV. You're right. There was a lot of that, and that's probably why I responded to this so much because I was watching all those shows yeah. and I was, you know, it's kind of like today they'd be call it, they'd call it being indoctrinated. I mean, I was totally indoctrinated and I was happy to, happy to be so as well. Yeah. But I think that, but, but I, but all I want to say is I think that what's happening is really pretty fucking funny, especially D great show, especially mama. Uh, mm-hmm. and especially the interaction between Raj and D like all their stuff is so fucking great. And then those other guys are great too. Maybe rerun is like sort of the most sort of like dated now and sort of like, eh, you know, you could tell why he was a fad at the time, but it's sort of like, yeah, okay. He's kind of like the Kramer. Well, he was on Soul show. Train. He was a dancer <laughs> on Soul Train. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shirley Hemphill was, she was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a great show. Really good. All right. That's it. And it was it was great talking about Cooley High. <laughs> now Cooley High is an American international picture. I always forget that, and then I see the logo, yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay. And then you get that font that then got used for every single sitcom for the next twenty years. Right. The, the rest of those titles is like the Happy Days slash Full House slash whatever the fucking name of that. Right type style is as well as that zoom into the caprini green buildings like that is the exact same zoom from uh good times yes so but american international pictures is this famous sort of genre exploitation 
yeah. indie company that lasted a long, long time. And Roger Corman was involved. And but it was originally set up by this uh, a couple of guys, including this Samuel Z. Arkoff, who's maybe the first mm-hmm. name you see on Cooley High. Yes. And I he did, always sounds like a Flash Gordon character. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I get him confused sometimes with the with the um, guy that fucking John Fogarty hates and writes bad songs about. That guy's name is what Saul Zantz or something like that. Oh right, Saul Zantz. But wasn't he involved with something else? I think he was involved with lots of with movies and TV and music yeah. and yeah. But I did not know that there was Samuel Z. Arkoff related his tried and true Arkoff formula for producing a successful low budget movie. Years later, during a 1980s talk show appearance, so he did this like uh, what do they call it? An acrostic, like so for every letter of his last name, he came up with a uh-huh. something to guide you to successfully successfully make right. an independent okay. low budget film. So the A in Arkoff is for action. So you need to have action. The uh, car chase. Yeah, exciting, okay. entertaining drama, right? And that that there's a, definitely a car chase. There's some action in in Cooley High. Revolution is the R in Arkoff, uh, okay. and well. and he means a novel or controversial theme or idea. I mean, you know. Showing black life apart from exploitation films. Okay, good. Uh, the K in Arkoff stands for killing, uh, a modicum of violence, he says. There's, there's violence. Somebody there's, gets killed. Somebody gets killed, which is a real bone of contention with me. We'll get into that later. Okay. Uh, oratory, uh, notable dialogue and speeches. Uh, I don't know. Are there any real notable? Spe- There's some great dialogue in this. I, I think the way the the characters talk in this movie is very uh, influential. Like, uh, like I watch it, and I say, "Oh, that's where that came from," or "Oh, I remember people saying that all the time." Like, right. there's a lot in this that holds a lot true. Of quotable to lines, a lot of quotable lines, and but also speech patterns that, like, I, I remember hearing growing up in school and and to this day. Okay, the F, the first F in Arkoff stands for fantasy, acted out fantasy's common to the audience. That, I don't think there's any fantasy element in this. Mm, not a whole lot, but, but it, I mean, if you take the idea of people being able to see themselves represented on screen, maybe that's mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a small F. So the other F, and this is a big one, Fuck. is for fornication. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> and there is uh there is some fornication and uh there is yeah well done arkoff so arkoff kind of taught corman everything he knew yeah i guess so i mean cuz uh american international they they uh distributed a lot of corman movies yeah 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 oh absolutely but you know i don't know i don't know you know, I think Corman is an, is an idea guy himself, so he might have come up with his own stuff, with or without Arkoff. Yep, sure. But, I mean, you can see the line. Yeah, you can yeah, absolutely I mean, see the line. Yeah, you can you can see it. But yeah, I the, always... Go ahead. Uh, later, the AIP publicity department devised a strategy called the Peter Pan Syndrome. Now, this one I like even more than the Arkoff formula. Okay. So here's the Peter Pan Syndrome. I love this. And it's got an A, B, C, and D. A... A younger child will watch anything an older child will watch. I think that's right. Nice. B, an older child will not watch anything a younger child will watch. Okay. 
C, a girl will watch anything a boy will watch. And D, a boy will not watch anything a girl will watch. Therefore, wow. therefore to, to catch your greatest audience, you zero in on the 19-year-old male. Well, I mean, this is that movie to perfection. Yeah. Yeah, it's all of pop culture, isn't it? Yep. Well done. Well done. Uh, it's a period piece. But I question it. It's a period piece in the way that um, Lords of Flatbush. Yes, I'm glad you brought up. Glad you brought up Lords of Flatbush. I was just about to bring that up. Thank you. Go on. I can't wait to hear this. Well, that's my, you know, that's my. First of all, I have a very strange connection to Lords of Flatbush in that the director, the writer director of that movie, this guy, Stephen Verona, made another movie a few years later called Boardwalk. Uh-huh. And that movie was shot in my house in Brooklyn while we were living there. Uh, and as it's customary for me to bring up every week, I was at <laughs> Camp Hidden Valley that summer while they were shooting in my house and missed most of the shooting, which was killing me as like an 11 year old who was in love with movies that I couldn't be on this set. But when I got back from camp, the movie was still shooting, although no longer in my house. But my parents convinced the film crew to let me hang out with them in these mm. other locations. Now, Boardwalk is a terrible, terrible movie, but Janet Lee is in the movie. Ruth Gordon yeah. is in the movie. Lee Strasberg is in the movie. Linda Manns is in the movie. So I got to spend time in Brooklyn on these movie sets with all of those actors and see them at work. And so it was like an invaluable dreamlike experience but still an awful fucking movie but which i think Lord you were, Flatbush is too <laughs> while you were at camp lying about having sex with this yeah, girl oh, uh, you could have been at home up again uh you could have been at home hanging out with janet lee in your own home yeah i mean you know who knows something might have happened between you and janet lee and then you wouldn't have had to make it up wouldn't that have been nice Listen, I could have acted out Harold and Maude with Ruth Gordon. <laughs> Fuck Janet Lee, man. I got some Ruth Gordon action going. Um, yeah, yeah, you could have done that. <laughs> I, yeah, I like. I, I'm a big fan of Lords of Flatbush. I have a feeling if I watched it, um, I, I remember the last time I watched it, it was pretty clumsy. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of parallels with this and Lords of Flatbush. They're at, but they, but, but what, what the, the biggest parallel is that they're both these sort of period piece movies that right. the, the filmmakers have no money to actually really fully invest in the idea of, of a period piece. Right. And, and consequently, you can easily watch either one of these movies and not even realize that it's a period piece. Like, especially to me, Cooley High. Like that, I forgot really it feels was a like Chicago piece. in the seventies more than Chicago. Totally, in the 60s. I f- totally forgot it was a period piece. I mean, the way they talk feels more to me the seventies and the sixties. But both Flatbush in this movie, like, were able to convey period chiefly through the music and, right. you know, the clothes. Right, and and I will say that Cooley High over Lords of Flatbush has a much better soundtrack, has real legit yeah. Motown songs, whereas. Lords of Flatbush, they have somebody doing these like ersatz, like phony, like Muzak versions. Do-op type uh, of Yeah, it's like fake. There are no real. I don't think there's any. I don't think they got the music rights to any songs. In fact, Gilbert Gottfried on his podcast will occasionally sing the songs from Lords of Flatbush. Really? It's fucking hilarious because he's the only one who seems to actually know them or the lyrics. And But yeah, they're these like fake 
50s songs. Well, this movie also reminds me of Lord Flap, Lords of Flatbush in the, in the sense that I don't believe any of the actors in Lords of Flatbush are actually in high school either. <laughs> right. You know? No. They, they look like they're ready for Social Security. And lots of <laughs> right. So you've got Lords of Flatbush and, and you've got uh, uh, American Graffiti. You know, I think mm-hmm. those are the two movies. Well, not the two. Those are two movies you could compare it to. And American this being billed as a black American graffiti was happened a lot when it came out. But I mean, I I think if you sort of stop thinking of this movie as a comedy and take away like the, you know, the lowbrow comedy stuff and think of it as, you know, Eric Monty's personal coming of age story, it's got less in common with something like American graffiti and more in common with mean streets. Like there are scenes in this movie, like when they go into the bar and everything's, super red saturated like it really does remind me of mean streets and and i you know that's kind i'm sure like american international loved the comedy aspects and you know heightening the the frankness of the sexuality and all that because that's what they wanted but i think the movie's real heart and where it really comes alive is in the i don't know just the realness of stuff like that it this time around it really did Remind me of Mean Streets. That's that's really interesting. That's a that's a good observation. I mean, for for me, my biggest problem with this movie and what it's it's always been my biggest problem is that it turns tragic at the end, and I feel like it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't earn its tragedy, and its tragedy is sort of feels so tacked on. Um, yeah. I can see I can see that. Yeah. Like I was reading something where they were talking about this being a, a influence on boys in the hood. Mhm. I was like no way. You know, what what are you talking about? That doesn't seem earned. And then when I, I watched it this time I was like, "Oh, yes. I mean, it, it's like certain parts of this were taken whole cloth from for boys in the hood." You know, you yes. got the Freddie Boom Boom is is the 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 sports star with a, a promising future, and it's all mm-hmm. cut short. But here's the thing: Boys in the Hood, and you're absolutely right. But it also it feels like it's setting you up for that ending, even though that ending is a shock and a tragedy and a sort of a surprise. You can't say that the film isn't really steering you in the direction. There, there's a threat of violence, and there is actual violence throughout. Boys in the Hood in a way that there isn't in Cooley High up until the very end. I mean, I don't think there's any. There's a fight at the da- at the at the house party. There's like a right. fist fight, but that's all played for comedy. Um, there's yeah, there's there's you know, gang members left and right in the movie. You know, I mean, that's something that I never really thought about watching it this time, because I I was before, if I if you would talked about. It with me before I saw it this week, I would be inclined to agree with you. But this time I noticed that like, you know, they were in the middle of gang members and threats of violence throughout the entire movie. And there's this thing with Preach where he constantly seems to be trying to fight against what the streets have to offer and, and you know, him being a poet. But he's he's got like a really bad temper about that. And he feels... uh 
he feels embarrassed when people bring up his poetry and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and he changes his speech patterns when he's hanging around the gang members and mm-hmm. you know, he makes up these stories when they steal the car. So, I mean, there are certain things in this movie that if you concentrate on that stuff, that ending isn't as much of a shock as it used to be for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. That's, that's a perspective. <laughs> You're kidding? I, he, I, I, I don't. I mean, it does. It doesn't for me. I, I even even trying, and I watched it twice over the last week and a half, and yeah. I was both times trying to, trying to give the movie every benefit of a doubt and say like, okay, there. This movie is secretly gearing you up for for what happens at the end, but I I don't. I still don't. I I don't really feel it. I. I it, those two guys who turn out to be the 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 the, the two guys that they go on that joyride with, yeah, including the guy who looks like what's his name? It's um, it's hard out there for a pimp. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Terrence yeah. uh, Terrence Howard. Oh, fuck, Terrence Howard. Yeah, I wanted to look up the name of that actor and figure out what happened to him because he's really kind of interesting. He's dead. He got oh, he, he got shot uh, two years after the movie was made. There Those guys go. were actual gang members that were hanging around Caprini Green that the producers mm-hmm. found but here's here's the other movie that we've talked about that i think probably is the best to compare with cooley high and that's the wanderers and uh-huh. in the wanderers which is a very similar story and period piece and blah 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 that also has the sort of surprise death of one of the sort of main characters in the movie but it comes more along the halfway point of the movie and so it, you have time to recover from it and you have time to sort of see it within the context of, of the movie. And, and, and it gives you the movie, I think gives you time to sort of like readjust your, your feelings. Whereas for me, Cooley high, that ending just sort of is like, uh, we're going to fuck you guys up right now. We're going to like drop the hammer on you, which is great. And I'm usually happy to argue in favor of movies like that. There are tons of movies that I like that, drastically change tone at some point even at the very end or have like this shock ending Cooley High is one of those Cooley High is one of those movies that as I saw as a kid were just part of the endless stream as we have talked briefly about before of these unhappy endings in movies uh, in the 70s of which you know it seemed like almost every movie had an unhappy ending and the ending of Cooley High to me almost seems like it's more a product of it being a movie that was made in the 70s rather than anything. And I know Eric Monty says this really did happen. And I really did have a childhood friend. I just, um, it's, it just feels like it's from a different movie. And it feels like, it feels like that's the takeaway at the end of the movie is like, this is all leading towards this tragedy, which is what inspires the Eric Monty character to like leave Mm -hmm. home and go make a name for himself. But I don't, but I feel like that movie could have been written in a way that, that 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 feels more of a piece and and i and i totally get the argument that like sometimes in life this is what happened you're busy like right, right. doing your day-to-day shit you're just a kid and then you know i had a i had, there was a when i was in third grade a classmate of mine uh got run over uh on their way to school one day you know and they yep. were just dead you know and it was like a kid i've been fucking around with and throwing shit out at lunch the day before and then this kid was dead and, uh, you know, it, it fucked me up, fucked up everybody in the school, and it was a, a weird thing. But 
if I was making a movie like Cooley High that was like 90% like sex comedy, sort of just fucking around and slice of life, um, you know, high school kids, I don't know that I would end it with his with this kid getting run over by the car <laughs> and say like, hey, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think the movie's fat girl. I don't think, you know, the ending is is that shocking coming out of nowhere. Uh, but, you know, when you're talking about The Wanderers, the, that movie is about gang members. This movie is not about gang members. This is just about kids who are in the middle of gang members. I mean, they're kids in Caprini Green. Uh, so... The gang members are everywhere and the threat of violence is everywhere. And and there's something even about their exploits that, I mean, this movie is a lot more frank in its sexuality and than something like uh, American Graffiti. It's not, it, it, it maybe one of the reasons why it doesn't feel as nostalgic is because, you know, it's it's a little harsher, you know, it's, it's not viewed through such a, a soft lens. And there is a real sense of danger in this movie. Um, you know, like even with the car, the car chase, it's like, whoa, you know, I, I, you can't get away with this. Someone's going to die, you know. Uh, right, but nobody does. It's kind of like Parallax View. And these no, kids are like Superman. Die. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, somebody does die as a direct result of, the, of, that, of that car chase. Yes, but if you're trying to like glean sort of moral lessons from this movie, it's a very strange tale. It's a tale of 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 people with good intentions, like the teacher who gets them out of jail because he of feels for Garrett them. Moore. Garrett Moore is very good in this movie. Very, really very good. good. Probably the best he's ever been in anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if you trace back how it is that Lawrence Hilton Jacobs winds up meeting his end. It's this, it's this, it's like, okay, well, so wait, so the teacher shouldn't have mm-hmm. figured out, or, you know, it, it's like a whole, and, and and are we supposed to say that Lawrence Hilton Jacobs in the larger scheme is like sort of paying the price for being not the greatest friend because he winds up sleeping with the girl that uh, Preacher is kind of into and they have that fight over that? or Who's, Preacher's dogging that girl to go with the other girl, you know? Yeah. It, you're right. It, 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 the morality is murky. Yeah. Very, very murky. And a movie like American Graffiti, it's not that murky. No, but I just question the intentionality of all the things we're talking about. Okay. I'm not convinced that these filmmakers, that Michael Schultz and Eric Monty, knew, know what they're doing the whole time. Uh-huh. Now, I, now, we haven't mentioned Michael Schultz at all, who's the director of this movie. Okay. And who we'll had, had a long, long career. Still alive. Um, but not the kind of director that we would call an auteur, I don't think, although, I don't know, maybe that's a bullshit term to begin with. <laughs> well, if he, if he is an auteur, I don't think he's the auteur of this film, but. No. Right. But I also feel like maybe this is his best film. Yeah. What, what would you say was his second best film? Okay, I'm going to rattle off his list of theatrical... He did a ton of TV work, too, which is amazing. But here, yeah. here's his list of directorial works as in, in the cinematic realm. <laughs> he did a movie called Together for Days, which I couldn't find anywhere in 1972. He did a movie called Honey Baby, Honey Baby in 74, right. which I did watch at the beginning. Did you, did you check out any of that? I didn't get a chance, but I'd heard of it. 
Yeah. How was it? It's a it's a weird bad movie, but kind of interesting. Then he did Cooley High. And really, for all intents and purposes, this is basically his debut, I think. I mean, this is like the first sort of like, oh, yeah, Michael Schultz. Then he did Car Wash. Right. He did Car Wash. Which is a movie that I think is okay, but I've never loved. Yeah, but if if you're Michael Schultz and you're directing Cooley High and Car Wash, you're you're kind of you're in. Yeah, no, he's in. He was in. Then he does Greased Lightning. Yes, I know where this is going too. This is going to another one of our favorite movies that we like <laughs> to talk about. Yeah, uh, but then he did Which Way Is Up. Uh huh. So he and- did these two Richard Pryor vehicles, and actually Richard Pryor's in Car Wash too. So he. I feel like he met Richard Pryor on the set of Car Wash, and Richard Pryor was like, let's make some movies together. Right. So they did Grease Lightning and Which Way is Up. Did he do Bust but and Loose love... later on? In yes. In the 80s? Yeah, okay. Uh, yes, he did. Right. But after Which Way is Up is where things went bad for a while. He yeah, that's when followed... they get interesting. <laughs> he did Which Way is Up, he did. And this is sort of an amazing, you know, as, as one of the worst movies ever made, I, I have no <laughs> doubt. It's amazing how strange... It is. So he did, he directed Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. There it is. Yeah. And, and so it's just another element of like people who had no affinity for, no sense of the Beatles. Right. And their appeal and the appeal of their music or anything about what would make a good Beatles related movie all got together to make this fucking Right, and, no, exactly. Like, if you had heard that Michael Schultz had done The Wiz, you'd be like, that makes sense. Yeah. But it, it, it's like, wait, what? Well, and then if you heard that Sidney Lumet did The Wiz, you'd be like, what? No, no, that yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> right, that's right, exactly. Uh, and the, the other thing that's interesting about that is that was the biggest budgeted movie that uh, a black director had ever been entrusted with Sergeant at that Pepper. time. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, look what happened there. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. I I love I haven't watched The Wiz in forever, but I loved it as a kid. I saw it like two or three times in the movie theater. I was like, I don't know why everyone's not liking this movie. I'm into it. It's weird. It's a weird movie. Yeah. But I, I, I hate all seventies comedies, so it's kind of uh, I have a problem with it for that reason. Musicals. Musicals, yes. Uh, you hate thanks, thanks, for cor- thanks for thanks for correcting me. I'd be here. What are you talking next about? Next week, King of the mountain. I made a huge mistake. I said I hated seventies comedies. I feel really really bad about it because <laughs> I love seventies comedies. I, I really do. Please forgive me. <laughs> and then we go through all Soderbergh's seventies uh, yeah. comedies inspired movies. Um, uh, so anyway, then he, after Sergeant Pepper did Scavenger Hunt, which is another like maybe all time terrible movie. Uh, one of those all-star comedy, you know, all the mad, 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 mad world type uh-huh. things. Yeah. Here's the cast of Scavenger Hunt from 1979. Richard Benjamin, James Coco, Scatman Crothers, Ruth Gordon, could have yeah. had her, Cloris Leachman, Cleavon Little, Roddy McDowell, Robert Morley, Richard Mulligan, Tony Randall, Dirk Benedict. The list goes on and on. That sounds delightful. Yeah. Then he did Bustin' Loose. Yes, he did. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Did I... Did, this is the movie. It's where he's a yeah. bus driver. I just watched this movie because they talked about it on Crackpot Cinema, the the Mike McPadden and Aaron Lee podcast. Um, yeah, that's a weird movie. 
but not yeah, a the, bad movie. It's no, not the bad. KKK scene is was, right. Yeah. Really something. Then he did Carbon Copy with um, Dude, Carbon George Copy. Siegel and um, Denzel Washington. Right. Yes. I saw that when it came out uh, at my local movie theater. I did not mm-hmm. go see it twice. I mm. couldn't even go see that twice. Like you like actively disliked it. Actively knew that what I was watching was a really bad, bad movie. Yeah. That's too bad because there's a guy who I loved for a while in the 70s, George Siegel. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it took me a long time to wash away the fact that yeah. he was involved with Carbon, <laughs> Carbon Copy. Yeah. So I think Schultz has a pretty good career, actually. Like, I mean, he's made a lot of movies that I've seen. Yeah, and me I guess too. That, no, that's he's a standard had a successful for a good career. career but <laughs> right. at the end of the day, like, I'm, I want to get through the rest of the list just so I can, just so we okay. can agree that, like, not, neither of us really like any of his movies other than Cooley High and maybe Car Wash and but so he uh, so then after that in 85 was Crush Groove so Carbon Copy yeah. knocked him off he might have gone to TV for a while but Carbon Copy's 81 he doesn't make another movie till Crush Groove in 85 these are all terrific movies you're talking about <laughs> I, I, I don't have a problem with any of these movies Grease Lightning Crush Groove Bustin' Loose I'm in I, I, I'm on this guy's train Please all right. proceed. Here's one that I think is all right that that maybe you won't. The Last uh, Dragon. There you go. God damn, this guy is just knocking him out of the park. I mean, he is as far as black directors go, there's very few that I can think that that have had a bigger impact. I'm not done. In uh, 87, a movie that I watched for the first time a couple months ago and I can't remember why. Again, probably because Mike McPadden was telling me I needed to see it. Disorderlies with the Fat oh, Boys yes. and Ralph The Bellamy. Fat Boys, yes. Yeah. Terrific. Whoever came up with the idea that the Fat Boys should be the new Three Stooges, genius, man. Total genius. Then in 2004, he directed a movie called Woman Thou Art Loosed. Ooh. I don't know what that is. No. But he That's had a good run. for Michael Schultz. Yeah, pretty good run. Of movies that yeah. like that are that are, you know are cult movies that have like a good cult <laughs> attached to them. Yeah, but if I had to say what what is the thing that ties all these movies together for the most part is that they're you know they're okay. There's some funny stuff in them, it, but it never none of them ever really feel like they live up to the potential of the premise or the cast. Or anything else. Like, Cooley High to me is the thing that maybe comes closest. And if I'm really being honest with myself, and I have to choose... You should be. If I want to... If, I, if, if I'm having to pick between having to watch Cooley High every week or watching What's Happening, I'm going for What's Happening. I'd rather mm-hmm. watch that show than watch this movie. Well, I, I think some, some of those things and the broad comedy stuff, and when you look at the poster... For this movie, you know, it's got the 70s sort of bananas uh, magazine looking type of artwork and stuff. Yeah. Bananas, you know, like great. they want to push that that aspect of the movie. But I, I don't think that's what appeals to the filmmakers. Like they're, they're they're putting that in there for its commercial viability. And it's all there so that American International can be happy with what they have. And all the letters of Arkoff are fulfilled. But... Those letters, those Arkoff letters are also going towards the movie's honesty. There's an honesty 
to this movie. Um, and, and when you say like that, that it feels like they don't know what they're doing. I, I, I understand that. But even like in a scene with the car, the car crash, not the car crash, the car chase where you're like, Oh, it's the obligatory seventies car chase. This could, could have been cut out of the movie, but people loved to watch car chases back then. It turns out to be a major plot point of the movie. So there's not a whole lot that doesn't end up, you know, being that thing where someone's going to have to pay with their lives, you know? Yeah, but but it's true. It is a major plot point. But while it's happening, it's mostly played for laughs. Right. Which is, yes, go ahead. Right, right, <laughs> right. Like it, it, it's it's fulfilling that part of of what needs to be delivered to make the movie to have the movie get made, but it also uh, fulfills, you know, what appeals to the filmmakers and what they would personally want to say with the movie, right. which, you know, is kind of the best art. It's a slice of life. Mm-hmm. But the question is, is it a slice of life comedy? Is it a slice of life comedy drama? Is it a slice of life romance comedy? Is it a slice of life romance drama? It feels to me that for the most of its running time, it's a slice of life comedy drama with the emphasis being on the comedy. Right. And that as, and, and you know, it starts with a bunch of sort of sequences that are played strictly for laughs, like going to the zoo and getting hit with the gorilla poop. Right. Um, and then having to be on the crowded train with the gorilla poop. The right. car chase is played for laughs. Uh, most of the stuff with the with the girls is played for laugh. Even the extremely uncomfortable kind of rapey scene where they yep. they both have the girls in the stairway and yeah, <laughs> I tried. Where are they? Are they in somebody's apartment? What what is that space that they're in? It looks like it's 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 in the uh, the lobby, not the lobby, but the stairwell of the the building that they all live of like in. an apartment, like a rundown apartment building. Right. Yeah, projects. But, and so th- again, that's my thing. Like the closest this comes to to having true dramatic notes or tones to it is maybe the scene where they're in the alley at night and um, Preach discovers that this other dude has been reading his notebook and is right. quoting his poetry to him. And he gets legitimately angry about it. Right. But yep. he settles down like five seconds later. And by the end of the scene, they're making jokes about pouring out. Uh, alcohol in honor of the brothers who aren't here anymore, which ah, of course also turns it is, is foreshadowing. Is foreshadowing? Yeah. I mean, it it's like it, it's like you know, go back to Mean Streets. Like uh, you could look at Mean Streets, even though it's obviously a much better, far superior movie. But you know, uh, you you look at Mean Streets, and there's a lot of stuff in that that's kind of comedy, and you know, broad comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that the comedy in this sometimes gets a little harsh, you know? It's, and once again, have we done a movie that's not PG so far? Every movie <laughs> we've done has been shockingly PG. I thought for sure this one was rated R, and it's not. I'm going to have to find an R-rated 70s movie for us to talk about God just so we right. can see the difference. What, what does it take to be R-rated in the 1970s? Great I mean, question. The Deer Hunter comes to mind mean streets right mean streets sure and what is it about mean streets that makes it r is it is it the language is the non-stop f-bombs maybe maybe the the nudity is a little there's full frontal 
nudity. Yeah, maybe. but we saw that in Lifeguard. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not the nudity is a little bit uh, less graphic or attractive than I would say the nudity is in uh, Mean Streets. I, but but when you're talking about like memories of of these people growing up, whether it's Scorsese or whether it's Eric Monty, and when it's that close to the streets and gang members, they see the humor in it. Uh, and, and maybe this movie punches the humor a little too hard. And that might just be a, a sense of, you know, not, I don't know, being in the first movie, not having enough skill to, to quite know how to, I, to walk that tightrope yet. Maybe. I mean, I, I'm not complaining about the humor at all. In fact, I'm, I'm complaining about the tragedy. I feel right. like it's un, unearned. On the other hand, I do find that the climactic, the, the comedic climax of this movie, which is Preach hiding out in that bathroom at the back of the restaurant with the girl who's sitting on the toilet uh-huh. and the lights go out. Like I, I find that to be genu- genuinely funny and like a real escalation into almost like a French farce kind of thing right. and, 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 and delightful. And that's a scene I could do without. That's that. There, I think you and I are seeing this from different poles. Yeah. But like that scene, I was like, did they need this? This is yes. This is too broad. <laughs> you know, this movie's going somewhere, and and for and for the first time, I can see all the clues that they've set up. And then mm-hmm. this happens, and you know, like even the scene where Mama tells him to go get the belt. Which, when I think about it, when I used to think about it, I'm like, that's funny, uh, blah, blah. This time I was like, this, that's not funny. That's sad. You know, it's a sad, sad scene. It is. A, that tired. is a sad scene that he comes back and she's already asleep. Right. Great. 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 But, but, but it then is. you're followed up with that bathroom scene. And I think that's where the movie starts to go wrong. Yeah. But there's another very important connection to what's happening in the whole mama thing in this in this movie. And that is that mama has got a berry on her face that's the size of Fred Rerun Berry. She's yeah. got this fucking thing. So that's, that was the inspiration for Rerun, I guess. Mama. <laughs> well, I mentioned this before, but my favorite scene is uh, the movie theater scene where they yeah. go to see Godzilla. Now, the whole reason why I picked this movie was to disprove your argument last week that, that they didn't start uh, showing Godzilla movies in movie theaters Thank until you. the seventies, genius. Uh, I think this movie disproves that. It does. Don't you think? Yep. You you got me. I, you nailed I, me. I got you. And it was Godzilla versus Mothra, which is the last movie where Godzilla was the bad guy. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's interesting. But I mean, pr- aside from it being totally believable that all these characters would see Godzilla in a theater, it. It probably didn't hurt that uh, American International probably didn't have to pay because they were distributing Godzilla movies, so they probably didn't have to pay to use this. Right. And they use this move. They use scenes from this movie a lot, especially for a low budget movie. And it's really there's a lot, a lot of nice cross cutting between the movie on screen and the action in the theater. And I think the best part is it it until finally the action in the theater is the action on screen you know mm-hmm. i mean that's a really well done scene like you'll have a shot of godzilla stomping around and then it'll cut that with uh pooter stomping on people's feet and that's yeah. how the whole fight starts 
this movie, I mean, I feel like it's still, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, overstate how influential it seems to be and continue to be. Have you seen these Steve McQueen small acts movies on Amazon? I haven't. I, I, I want to. I, I, I'm not, I'm not a huge Steve McQueen fan. I'm um, not either. And I yeah. think that Widows movie he made is like the worst movie I saw that year. I don't mind Widows. I actually find <laughs> that, I find that movie, you know, I'm kind of, kind of like, there's, it's, uh, you know, it's good. I, I, I like I like him doing that. I, I never thought he'd make a movie like Widows, because um, yeah. I think fusing Heat with Bring It On is a great idea. I just didn't think he'd think it was a good idea too. Yeah, but yeah. Small Axe, Small Axe, the one that everyone talks about as being the best one, and it is the best one. It's called Lovers Rock, and it's all about this dance party at somebody's house. Huh. Um, and it's just like real a real time dance party in the seventies yeah. in 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 London, and it's fucking great. But you see, when you watch the the house party scene in this, you're like the quarter oh, party. This is yeah. yeah the quarter party, right? You're like this is fucking lovers rock. Steve McQueen is just remaking this section of Cooley High. I got to see that. That sounds great. It is great. You should the, don't bother with the. I mean, the, the, they're all good. They're all better than widows, but so we might have a problem here in that we we don't see Steve McQueen in the same. For me, as, as Steve long McQueen, as they're better than Shame, uh, I'll, I'll watch it. Yeah, for me, it's like widows is like uh, Steve McQueen wanting to do a genre film, but having no respect for genre, and then also like the genre part of that movie is idiotic to me, like the plot of it. And then the artiness of it at times is like, well, who cares? Like, I don't need, I don't need to see this shot of the guy driving around the neighborhood from the outside of his car. And it's like, who cares? Just fucking get me to some action. And you mean those Chicago locations? Oh, that's the best part of the movie. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I want to go back one more time to, to that movie theater scene. And yeah, please. When the when the action goes from the action on sc- screen and. Finally, the the inhabitants of the theater are what's on screen, and then there's that shot of that kid at the end before it cuts from that scene, and mm-hmm. he's watching these people fighting on screen. Yeah, and he's having the best time watching this. It, yeah. it's the best part of the whole movie for him. There's yeah. something about the subtext of of that of like black audiences seeing themselves represented on screen, and I think that speaks to the enduring popularity of this movie and and its influence. And I think it's all right there in that one shot. Yeah. I I agree. I just here's here's at the very end of the very last day. This is it for me for this movie is that as much as I like this movie, as much as I appreciate what it's doing and how enduring it's been and how influential it is, I like this movie even more if it doesn't end the way it does. Uh-huh. Like, I don't think it loses any of its power um, if either Lawrence Hilton Jacobs survives this movie or dies in some other way that feels more, maybe Burn. even more socially relevant. If, if he died at the hands of, like, some of these white cops. Right. Uh, you know, sort of more like the end of Do the Right Thing. 
or or he just or I feel like uh, everything that I like about this movie and everything this movie's trying to say about what it was like to grow up in that area and hang out with those kids and your friends and you know the sort of universe universality yeah. of it yeah. as well yeah. as the specificness of it. I think all of that can be. It's a movie I would. It's a movie I would return. I would have returned to more often over the years had it not had that thing in my brain. Where it's like, oh yeah, and then the, at the end, Lawrence Hilton Jacob gets killed, and it sucks. And right. this fucking guy, you know, yeah. it's one of these. I don't. I don't. You know, I, I. I'm happy to have movies in my life that have that sort of heaviness to them. This one feels like I would have liked it even more if it didn't. It shocks me that that's what people. I mean, reading about it this week. It shocked me that that's what people responded to the most. It shocks me that when you when you read about John Singleton talking about it, he talks about sitting and watching that scene with his mother, and that is the most influential part of the movie. I was kind of like, what? So, I mean, I, I, I do agree with you and that it, it is kind of a hack ending, but I, I think that... Uh, the signs to it going there are a, a little bit more uh, carefully laid out than than I remember them. Um, so it was it was good to watch it again because I could see that in a way it was inevitable from the very beginning. Yeah, I do think it's fun to f- have followed up Lifeguard with this because again it's the low key. You're saying this movie would have been a little bit better if it had more of Lifeguard in it. If it, you know, if it had, if it had, like, I, I feel like this movie could have felt to me like Lifeguard does, if not for the last five minutes of it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If all movies had a little bit more Lifeguard in them, they might be a little bit better. Well, that is true. I feel yeah. like that's an axiom that's as valid as Arkoff's formula. There's not an L in Arkoff. That, that's, that's the problem. That, that's the problem. Although his first name is Sam, just like Sam Elliott, so Samuel L. Samuel, yeah, there's the L. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, anything else you want to say about um, Cooley High? I don't think so. I, 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 uh, I, um, here's a couple of my favorite lines. Go ahead. I just ain't come up with the right lie, is all. all right. I got these spells, something like epilepsy, which is how he explains kissing some other girl at the locker, right? Is that what he... Oh, what's the, right. There's something says, that he's... He, well, no, he, he says, I, 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 I can't remember what happens after I'm like really excited, so I can't yeah. be held responsible. But I think I did something. What did I do? Tell me what right. I did. It's not a not good game. And preach when he's trying to calm down those gambling thugs before they become real killers. He says, no need to create havoc and melee. <laughs> he likes to throw some words around here's something that confuses me uh we're going back to the uh the the, the theater the movie theater scene uh when the one guy jumps up the gang member and he shouts disciples and all the disciples come up i mean mm. the fear of growing up outside of chicago the fear of disciples was a real thing so i, I love this scene but then the other gang stands up and they say the counts now Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I thought it was the Latin counts, and I'm I'm not aware of a, a black gang called the Counts. There probably is. There's got I. It must be my mistake, not theirs. But 
all I could find was Latin counts. And I don't see any Latin people in the movie. Yeah, I didn't know either one of those gang names growing up. Oh, you didn't know the Disciples? No. It was a real thing. Like, Vice Lords and Disciples, they could, the mere mention of them could strike fear in the hearts of a young high schooler. And they were, but they were Chicago-based gangs. It wasn't a national yes. chain. <laughs> they, they were Chicago-based gangs. I knew gangs. the Bloods and the Crips, which I thought right. was a California thing. That's a California thing. And I knew there was something, there was something in New York where if you wore, or maybe I just heard this from like the, like the wrong colors, the wrong color uh, bandana in your back pocket, like people would mistake you for one of those. Right. That's the gang thing that happens everywhere. That's okay. That's the thing. But, but I'm, I cannot find a non-Latin count. So if anybody you, you knows looked, about you, non-Latin you looked up, counts. Okay. Well, maybe they, but but these guys were not Latin. These are all black on black gang yeah, violence. Yeah, totally. I, I I can't imagine where the mistake uh, happens. Maybe it's got to be my mistake. I just I, I can't believe that they would have made that much of a mistake with the movie. There's got to be a story behind it, and I don't know what it is. I couldn't find it. Here's one other line I liked after he gets um, after um, Preach gets angry because his poetry is getting made fun of in the alley uh one of them says why don't you hit him with your throbbing manhood which is part of the poem that he is angry has been read aloud um here's some here's one other thing about this movie that 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 made me think and it was it was the it was the double whammy of watching an episode of what's hap- what's happening last night where raj is supposed to uh, take this test and instead he goes in and he elaborately does all these pranks on this teacher in the classroom and he gets suspended and his dad who's not normally in the picture has to yeah. go to school with him and who played his dad i don't remember his dad at all it was a guest star i don't know who the guy was but it was okay. you know it was pretty good in that it was you expect it to be the deadbeat dad who has left them and has no interest and he He's moved back to town and he wants to reconnect with them. And so D and Raj end up coming over at the, at one night to sleep over, but he's got a, a girlfriend there and he's about to like make his move on her. And then they show up and I thought, Oh, he's going to kick them out and they're going to realize he's really a jerk and doesn't really want to be a good dad, but he doesn't. He, right. he, he sends the girlfriend packing and then the next morning he wakes up and turns out all the guys have come over. And so rerun and Dwayne Wayne are also sleeping on the floor of this dad's house. And, and then mama comes to get them in the morning and she's like, uh, see how hard it is to deal with all these kids. And he's like, no, it's fine. And they can come back anytime. And I'm like, Oh, this is nice. Yeah. This guy's, <laughs> this guy's not bad. But here's the thing that, that occurred to me that Preach slash Raj in, in both the movie and the show, he's sort of positioned to be the, I guess, the Richie Cunningham of the group, the sort of mm-hmm. more studious, more intelligent, maybe more academic in some way, but right. sort of more the, 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 the sort of more serious member of the group. But he isn't at all. Like, as I just talked about in What's Happening, he goes to take a test and ends up, like, doing, like, elaborate pranks the whole time. And in this movie, although he's always wearing, like, the suit and tie and stuff, yeah. he's not 
He's the guy who skipped out on school all week at the beginning of this movie. And as soon as he gets back to school, the first thing he does is do this elaborate thing with the red ink. <laughs> pretend right. that Dwayne Wayne's nose is bleeding, gets out of there. It's interesting that like th- that the sort of the protagonist sort of like the guy who's meant for bigger things in, in this universe is is as big of an asshole, if not more and a more of a troublemaker than everyone else around him. Yeah. I, I think that's where Eric Monty is being, uh, really honest, like in, mm-hmm. in a way that most people wouldn't be as honest as, as he was. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and when you think about how he ended up and he blew all of his money on crack and this play that, uh, that he, ne- that was a huge failure. And he ended up like living in a, a homeless shelter you know like clearly that guy had a lot of demons and i think he's being pretty honest about uh preach as a kid having those demons um and that really appeals to me like he's a flawed protagonist i think the next episode of lifers we should get eric monty and michael schultz and do like a coolie high lifers episode well they're both around still i think aren't they uh, I don't see. I think Eric Monty moved back to Chicago not too long ago, but I there think you go. he moved. I think he moved somewhere else since then. I think he's in oh. Arizona or something like that. Yeah, but you know they got the internet there too. I got to work up to. I got to work up to talking to somebody like that. Okay. I'm not there yet. Is Fred Rerun Barry still around? I don't think he is. Hmm. Fred Rerun Run Barry. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Well, that's Duane. Well, depends on who you ask. Hey, so this is a Chicago movie. Uh Uh-huh. And I did did pull up the Chicago Tribune from um, the day that... Friday, June 27th, 1975. Okay. Which was the day that the Gene Siskel... um, Three and a half star review? I don't know if he gave stars. But we're going to find out together. Okay. Because I'm going to share this with you, and we're going to see what else was playing in Chicagoland the week that Cooley High opened. Chicagoland. I love that phrase. No, you don't. I do. Oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now playing in Chicagoland. I, I mean, yeah, I, I was just wondering how far, how far of the kingdom, you know, it just sounds like a kingdom. Like, ah. Uh, I called this town for Chicagoland. I, I don't know if Zion was called for Chicagoland. I think we were just outside of the, the fiefdom. What I remember about Chicagoland, um, I mean, I'd been to Chicago probably once as a child. We drove across country the summer of 77. Maybe I told you this. My family got this uh, idea to like go on the road for a month and drive to California and back. And the kids... Me and my sisters were all psyched that we were going to get one of those camper vans with that fucking, you know, had the loft on top and had the racing stripes on the side and had shag carpeting, floor to ceiling, all that stuff. It was 1977. We wanted like the mystery machine or whatever, the Scooby-Doo thing. Uh Um, And my parents, their idea was to buy a bare bones, Econoline white, you know, looked like a fucking utility uh, van. Um which they did like a used one um, that was like completely empty. But then my dad like sort of built 
a loft bed into it. It didn't have like the high camper top or anything. Right. Um, and we were also dreaming of spending the summer going from amusement park to amusement park and staying at hotels. And my parents were like, we're not doing any of that. We're camping every night. We're either sleeping in the van. They had the van, which could sleep like three of us. And then they had this small tent that was going to sleep like the other two people. Like usually, I don't remember how we divided it up. Was your dad anyway, wearing oats? Yeah, my dad was wearing oats. Uh, but we did, like after crying for like three weeks, convince them to buy some <laughs> different colored electrical tape. And we did our own like electrical tape racing stripes on the sides of this white van. Uh-huh. And we had them go to like a carpeted store and buy these shag carpeting remnants. And we like glued them to the interior ceiling on the front. It was a complete craziness. But we drove through Chicago, and that's where I wound up seeing Star Wars in 1977 well, okay. for the first time um, at some fancy theater in downtown Chicago. Anyway, um, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Something about Chicago. Oh, Chicago Chicagoland Land came up because then the next time I was in Chicago was that time that I was tour managing with Freddy Johnston, and he was playing um, Shubas. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for some reason, the hotel we had booked, and it wasn't me, I didn't book it, like they had somebody who did the whole thing in advance, was way the fuck outside of Chicago. And yeah. so we got done at Shubas, and we had to drive like over an hour to get back to wherever this stupid hotel was. That's the worst. Can't do that. Sometimes morale is more important than staying up by some fucking airport. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here we go. Uh, do 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 bow bow. So, uh, here's Roger Ebert. I mean, here's Gene Siskel. Yes, three and a half stars. Three and a half right. stars. Yes. Oh, you knew this. I thought you were. I thought you were referencing your own three and a half star review. No, that was. I was not. Okay, but I like that it's right next to the Rollerball, uh, directed by Norman Jewison. Yes, also a Gene Siskel review, and he only gave Rollerball two stars. Well earned. Very earned. I mean, Uh, uh, what a disappointment. I can rarely remember being so disappointed by a movie as when finally getting to see Rollerball. Yeah. I want to read the last three paragraphs of Roger's review. I mean, Jesus, of Gene Siskel's review of Cooley High. Okay. He says, local first-time actors that stand out are 15-year-old Corin Rogers as Goofy Pooter and 17-year-old Cynthia Davis as a snotty girl who gives herself to preach. Sherman Smith and Norman Gibson are effective as a couple of tough kids whose problems never seem to go away. Cooley High features a soundtrack full of pieces of Motown record hits of the middle 60s. I only wish the songs had each played longer and louder in the style of American Graffiti. Cooley High has been given the honor of a world premiere in the Chicago Theater, our town's biggest. It's expected to be a good draw in the black community. People who attend will not feel ripped off. They will see a film of grace, good times, rough times, and love. Hmm. There you go. Well, doesn't he say something at the beginning of that interview about how, not interview, but that review about how he was just about to write the movie off and then uh, uh, it sort of deepens and, yes. and changes for him and becomes something special. Yeah, following a good-looking scenes of Chicago sequence that resembles the opening of television's Good Times, Cooley High hits us with 10 minutes of teenage pranks that don't seem particularly black, funny, or well-written. <laughs> so yes, 
But then, the, so then he talks about the, the, the Lincoln Park Zoo scene. Uh, and it says, it leaves you with the impression that Cooley High is going to be nothing more than a series of routine and unfunny gags. But then the film's magic begins to work. And Cooley High turns into a beguiling story that's affecting, lasting, and worth seeing more than once. So that's interesting. So so it's this movie that's ripping off the beginning of Good Times. It's not Good Times that's ripping off the beginning of this movie. Yeah. There you hmm. go. Good to know. Good mm-hmm. to know. Good times, man. Yeah. So, hey, at the Blue Max, one could see Milton Berle. The Milton so, Berle show starring Milton Berle. That's not a movie theater, and that's not a sh- and that's not a movie. So did you see uh, uh, Star Wars at the Chicago Theater? Because that's probably about as fancy as it got in Chicago. Um, I don't remember this theater being particularly fancy. It seemed like weirdly, like ensconced in like a sort of like a much more businessy section of downtown Chicago. I'd have Could to, be the I'd Chicago have to look theater. See, it may be, but so the Chicago theater wasn't like an old time sort of movie palace. Yes, it was, and now it, it's this it's one a didn't seem venue. so old timey. It seemed okay. more like a modern, you know. And it might have been playing at the Chicago Theater, but like two or three other places. I don't know. Oh, yeah, definitely. It could have been anywhere. It's just, um, I just wondered. I don't know that I've ever been. Well, I guess I've been. Is this, the Chicago Theater, has that become like a live music venue? Yes. I've probably been there to see music, but I don't think I ever saw a movie there. Right. I was trying to remember, and another podcast that we do together called Lifers, you were talking about... The Avalon, mm-hmm. and you were talking about it as a club. I thought, I thought I'd seen something at the Avalon, but it was more like a theater. Um, I don't recall an Avalon theater like plays and stuff like that. Not plays, but li- oh. I saw live music. I saw like Paul Westerberg. I'm thinking Chicago, like the Avalon. What was, was totally... I thinking of? What's a, what are some of the live music venues that are sort of the Riviera? No. The Aragon. The Aragon. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's been what it was. At the, the Aragon, Aragon Ballroom. Yeah. Yep. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, the Avalon was quite different than the Aragon. But I'll tell you <laughs> what, it, it it sounded better than the fucking Aragon, that's for sure. Yeah, well, couldn't have sounded worse yeah. based on my memory of that one show I saw. You're right. Well, well, maybe we'll run across the theater that you saw the movie at. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Although this is, this is pre-Star Wars, though. So. Pre. Um, Jose Feliciano and Barbie Benton and Doc Severinsen and Chuck Berry and Captain Tennille and Ike and Tina Turner and Tanya Tucker and Blood, Sweat and Tears. Jesus Christ. Sportsman's. Do you know where that is? I was going to make a Jose Feliciano joke from Fargo, but then I saw those other names and I couldn't stop reading them off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But do you know that venue? What is that, Sportsman's? No, no, no. I, I don't know it. Anyway, Monty Python and the Holy Grail was playing at the Carnegie. Is that the, the Carney name of the theater? The Carnegie? Carnegie. I think that says Carnegie. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that one. Here's the Cooley High. You're right. The Bananas slash Mad Magazine. There it is. Rated PG. Opens 9 a.m. They started showing movies at 9 a.m. So here's the tag. Mandingo here's- is playing. Wait, wait, wait. We gotta get. We gotta talk about the tagline for Cooley High. Where the student yeah. body was a chick named Veronica. See? The senior prom was a, quote, belly rub. 
and the class of 64 ran a permanent crap game in the men's room. Well, that's that's not true about the men's room. I don't remember that happening in this movie, but... Um, that's that's basically out, that's the thing at the back outside of the women's yeah, room. Yeah, or the, the, the non-gender specific bathroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... But I, I did have a question about this belly rub. Is, is belly rub right. like a, a standard term for something else, like a hand job or something? Because that does get talked about in the movie, and I wasn't it quite does. sure what they were saying. Well, it sounded like it wasn't a good thing. Like she was, they were talking to her about her quarter party, and she's yeah, like, she's like, I'm not doing any belly no, this rub. This ain't no belly rub. But yeah. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what they were insinuating, and I still don't know based on this ad. Maybe that's that's uh, you know. They turn out the lights and fool around, and maybe that's what the party turned into against her wishes. Uh, I don't know that. I did notice it, though, when when uh, I was watching. George Siegel and Ruth Gordon and Going Ape? Well, that's Where's Papa? It got re-released at some point under the title Going Ape, because I guess Where's Papa wasn't going anywhere. I Isn't that didn't great? know yeah. that blows my mind that they used to do that yeah yeah they used to do it all the time um up here though there's a a a double feature at the state lake which is a Uh plit theater i can't read that name of that brand yeah uh two chilling feature shockers william castle the king of horror presents bug and that's the one with bradford dillman i think out in a cabin fucking around with bugs that he shouldn't be. Not with Michael Shannon. No, not with Michael Shannon. But they uh they both have a lot of tinfoil in them, I think. Yeah. Um and then uh and that was playing with Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which is not a bad little movie. Not not bad. I just saw that a couple of years ago at the music box and the director was there and he was a he's a real sweetheart. Yeah, Plit Theaters, like the, the they uh they owned a lot of theaters in the area. I remember that. Mandingo was playing at the Roosevelt. Savage. Tommy was playing at the Michael Todd. Hmm. And with the Midnight Jaws Show. Jaws still doing Jaws. a brisk business. That's awesome. Cornbread Earl and Me. There you go. The Wilby Conspiracy, Sidney Poitier and Michael Caine. That's a movie I've never heard of. I've never heard of but it. But Nicole Williamson, I think, is the guy who played um, Sherlock Holmes in some movie. Maybe The 7% Solution huh. or one of those. One of those fucking Sherlock Holmes does heroin movies. I've been watching a lot of the uh, trips lately because they're all on. Oh, yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm trying very, very hard not to do a substandard Michael Caine impersonation right now. Good. Keep working on that. Keep keep okay. working on that discipline. Yeah. Uh, Return of the Pink Panther, a movie I love. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen this ad, though. It's got this a whole bunch of Pink Panther cartoons. Um, if I were a kid, I probably would have cut those yeah. individual pieces out with scissors. Because, yeah. you know, I, I, it was like a Pavlovian response. Anytime I saw that, I had to cut it no matter what it was. Oh, I see you got the land that time forgot. Doug McClure and the land that time forgot playing all over the place. Uh, Not to be confused with the people that time forgot. The land that time forgot is much 
much better than the people that time forgot. So remember, I think on our very first episode, I was talking about how many fucking drive-ins there seem to be in Chicagoland. Look in uh-huh. this, just for the land that time forgot alone. Look at all these drive-ins: the Sky High, the Skylark, the Double, the Sock Trail, the Bel Air, the Crystal Lake, Lake Dundeal, East Dunes, the Starview, the Hammond. The Be- I mean, there's fucking dozens of drive-in it, theaters. It was a glorious time. Yeah. Uh, the skyline is still there, I think, or something like the skyline. Um, yeah, it was a glorious time. There was, there was the sky high, there was the skylark. Jacqueline Suzanne's Once Is Not Enough, a movie I've never seen. I didn't know that Kirk Douglas was in it. It's rated R. Damn, we might have to do it. At least... Did something to get an R rating. Directed Ooh, by Lena McCurry's in it. Yes. And directed by Guy Green, who I've never heard of. I think that's what happens when uh, you, you have to cut your arm off if it gets Guy Green. <laughs> nice. Uh, hey, music for Once Is Not Enough by Henry Mancini, which reminds me that the that the worst part of what's happening is its theme music, which is so chintzy. And synthy and shitty sounding, and it's written by Henry Mancini. Oh, we we had a real we've had a real bad run of music in seventies movies. Yeah, well, this is seventies TV. Uh, I the, I don't have any problem with the music for Cooley High. I'm just talking about what's happening. Oh, you're talking about what's happening. Yeah. I thought you were talking. Which about is surprising Cooley to me High. that Henry Mancini. Wait, you was... don't like the theme? The theme for Cooley High? You don't like? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, I love the theme for Cooley High. I don't like the I mean, Henry Mancini what? theme for What's Happening. I, okay. I like uh, it musically. Restart. You don't like the theme of What's Happening. I like I like it musically. Okay. I mean, I like the melody of it. I like it in theory, but the instrumentation is so fucking. <laughs> Do I need to? Oh, hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it for us. What's I think you got to play it at yeah. the end of the episode, and as what we're talking, it slowly the music slowly comes in and says, "All right, we've had enough of these guys." Here we go. You ready? Yeah, I'm totally ready. I fucking love this. But are you hearing it? Yeah. So good. Right up there with Sanford and Son. What are we listening to? What's Trumpets? What, or sax? Those are saxes, right? What are Clarinet? What's the main instrument in this fucking thing? Sounds like it could be clarinet. Haywood. There you go. Rerun. Eaten. Again. <laughs> now we got some organ. I think this is great. Well, in fairness, Surely. this is from a later season. What I watched... Had a different. There's Mabel. I had a. I heard a different version of this fucking thing. Hmm. Uh, Bug. There's Bug. That maybe that is the Michael Shannon movie. <laughs> they look like rocks. This is this is the tagline for Bug. They look like rocks. Possess a high intelligence. Have no eyes and eat ashes. And there's like there's like ellipses between each one of these things. This is such a strange. Concept they travel in your car exhaust. They travel they in your fire. car exhaust. They, they make kill. fire. They kill, and they're real. Like they, none of these things sound particularly scary. They just sort of sound random. 
Okay, it's like, it's like one of those games. <laughs> they look like rocks. It's like one of those games where you have to guess what something is based on these clues, like password. They look like rocks. They possess a high intelligence. They have no eyes. What am I thinking of? A potato? I Stephen don't Miller. You're thinking of Stephen Miller. <laughs> Stephen Miller, yeah. Uh, they eat ashes. Sounds like Stephen Miller to me. And they're real. And he lives in your exhaust. It's hard to believe that Stephen Miller is real, so I would say maybe it's not Stephen Miller. Well, he, he, fits, the, he fits the bill. Here's Bambi and his, wait, and his Twitter what? What does it say? Where are you seeing that? A roll up. Oh, and another Walt Disney. Oh, and his Twitter. What the fuck is this? Twitter pated friends to charm and delight you again. Wow. This what is, year is this? 75, which is so exciting. Yeah, this, this is, is pro- relevant for today. We're back to Twitter. This is prob- yeah, I know. Twitter, right. This is probably when I first saw Bambi mm-hmm. uh, in 75. Did you remember that? Now, is this movie called? I thought the movie was called The Hound and the Raccoon, but I guess it's, according to this, it's The Hound that thought he was a raccoon. Maybe I don't know this No, you're, you're getting that mixed up with the movie called The Fox and the Hound. Oh, yes, that's Maybe? what I am. That's exactly yeah. what I'm doing. Well, it's been a delight. Uh, yeah. I'll talk to you again tomorrow night, which is, sounds like it's going to be all kinds of fun. I'm excited about this episode tomorrow night. I think this will... No one will see it coming, and it'll expand. What Even we though do. we talked, um, <laughs> we basically previewed it the last episode. We, we we you started off talking about what we're gonna talk about tomorrow night. Exactly. Yeah, but I don't think anybody thinks we're actually no. going to do Nobody it. Nobody thinks we're that stupid. Um, no. <laughs>